Episode 15, Changes on the Supreme Court, the Retirement of Justice Breyer. Law in the News. The Four Legal English Podcast is now in session. On today's docket, we discuss the retirement of Justice Breyer from the Supreme Court of the United States. What will that mean for the makeup of the court? When will the new justice be nominated and approved? And we'll also discuss the working of the court. Welcome to the Four Legal English Podcast. This is the show for lawyers, law students, and other professionals from all over the world who want to improve both their legal English and legal knowledge. In this podcast, we discuss different legal topics, such as law in the news, law in practice, legal writing, legal movies, and others. I am your host, Timothy Barrett. I was a practicing attorney in the United States. Now I teach law in Tbilisi, Georgia. Please check out our website, Four is in the number four, legal English, no spaces or dashes.com, fourlegalenglish.com. You can check out our blog articles, available courses, and the show notes for this episode, episode 15. On the docket today, episode 15, changes in the Supreme Court, the retirement of Justice Breyer. Justice Stephen Breyer is 83 years old. He was appointed to the court by President Clinton in 1994, so this summer it will be 28 years on the bench. This makes him the second most senior associate justice. The only associate justice who has been there longer is Justice Thomas, who was appointed in 1991. Of course, the most senior justice is the chief justice, even though he has not been there as long as either Justice Breyer or Justice Thomas. He's still the chief justice. Justice Breyer has announced that he will step down, he will resign at the end of this term, and when a replacement is confirmed. The Nine Justices So there are nine justices on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of the United States, often abbreviated as SCOTUS, S-C-O-T-U-S, Supreme Court of the United States. There are nine justices on the Supreme Court. It's been this way since 1869. That's one chief justice and eight associate justices. So normally we just call them a justice or a judge, but their formal title would be chief justice or associate justice. So this is Associate Justice Stephen Breyer or Chief Justice Roberts. Of course, when they vote on decisions, the Chief Justice gets one vote, just like the other justices, but he does have some administrative control and does have order of precedence, things like that. It is nice to be the Chief Justice, I am sure. Although the U.S. Constitution provides for a Supreme Court, it doesn't specify how many justices. And in the beginning, it did change a little bit. Uh, The size went up and went down a few different occasions. The Supreme Court has had nine justices since 1869. So we have about 150 years of precedent of having nine justices. And unlikely to change either to get bigger or to get smaller anytime soon. Although Biden, when he was running for office, did talk about increasing 
the size of the court, adding more justices. And there were some legal scholars, legal experts who liked that idea. It has been compared to Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1930s, also talked about adding justices, and it was deridedly called packing the court. Basically, the president didn't like the current justices, so if he didn't like their decisions, the only thing he could do is add more justices. So the new ones would agree with him and eventually outnumber the old ones. Back when FDR was talking about packing the court, adding justices, he couldn't get enough support even within his own party to do that. And so I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Let's go through the current nine justices. President Trump, who was president for one term, four years, appointed three justices. And this is pretty unusual. There have been a lot of other presidents, of course, that have appointed three justices, but usually they have more than one term. So to appoint three justices in one four-year term, it is pretty unusual. President Obama appointed two justices. Bush Jr., the younger Bush, appointed two. And Bush Sr., the older Bush, appointed one. And Biden will appoint this new one. Biden has already announced that he's going to nominate a black female. It appears that it's narrowed down to about three or four candidates. And it's probably going to be a federal court circuit judge, which is the court of second instance in the federal system. Although sometimes it could be a state Supreme Court judge as well. But usually Supreme Court justices are appointed from those two pools. The court of second instance in the federal system or the court of third instance at the state system. Favoring, especially the last few or even several appointments, favoring the appellate court, the circuit court judges in the federal system. How does a justice become a justice? Well, the president nominates them, and then the Senate confirms. So within the Senate, there are many different committees. One of the most powerful is the Judiciary Committee. They will hold hearings on the nomination of proposed judges. And especially over recent times, really over the course of my lifetime, it's going back into the 80s, this has become very contentious. It's kind of interesting to note that at one point, Biden, when he was in the Senate, was the chair of the Judiciary Committee, including during the time when Justice Thomas was confirmed, and there was very contentious hearings on Justice Thomas. That would be an interesting topic for a different episode, but that was one of the most contentious hearings for a Supreme Court judge. Currently, the U.S. Senate has 100 senators. Each state gets two senators. We have 50 states, so it is 100 senators, which does make the math easy. Right now, the Senate is split 50-50. There are two major political parties in the United States, the Democrats and the Republicans. And the Democrats have 50 senators, and the Republicans have 50 senators. Now, of course, the vice president is also the president of the Senate. And so when he or she sits in the Senate, they, uh, they control the Senate, kind of like a, a Speaker of the House, but they call them the president of the Senate. And she, Kamala Harris does get a tie-breaking vote. What does that mean? Well, normally the vice president doesn't vote, doesn't even need to vote. They're not going to change anything unless it's actually a tie. So if there are 50 votes for, 50 votes against, the vice president casts a vote, and of course that will be the deciding vote. So the only time the vice president does vote is when it's a deciding vote. And of course, it doesn't have to be 50-50. Maybe there's one or two senators from each of the parties or each of the sides who isn't in the chamber, isn't present, aren't voting, maybe they're abstaining, whatever. So it doesn't have to be exactly 50-50. It could be 48-48 or 40-40, anything like that. The vice president would cast the deciding vote, the tie-breaking vote. 
Now, normally, under the Senate rules, they need 60 votes to end closure, which basically means they're going to end debate and then actually vote on it, whatever it is. It could be for a new bill that's coming through. Do they vote on it and approve it to become a law? Or a nomination, do they confirm? Or any other business before the Senate. However, for the last maybe 10 or 20 years, they've ended that that tradition as far as judicial nominations. So for judicial nominations, you just need 50 votes or 51 votes to end closure and then have the vote. There was talk, if you follow American politics, will they do the same? Will they end that 60-vote rule for other things besides judicial nominations? And it looked touch and go, but for now, they're going to keep it. The the Democrats couldn't get enough support to end that 60-vote rule. Now, 50-50 is kind of a tough spot for a lot of business. You know, that means that the ruling party can't lose any votes. If they do, they, they won't be able to pass anything. With the 60-vote rule, even if they have all 50 members, they still need 10 votes from the other side to get to end closure and actually get to a, a real vote. To have a majority of just 50 out of 100, it's kind of a tough spot to be in. Of course, control of the Senate has, has gone back and forth from Democrats to Republicans back again. But since 1980, at no time did the majority party have more than 60 votes. For a few times, they might have 58 or 57, but most of the time, it's probably been 55 or even less. How will this affect the court? And honestly, it's probably not going to change it very much. Because the new justice is going to have, we can predict, a similar judicial philosophy as the retiring justice. Stephen Breyer is considered to be on the left on the court, and whoever Biden appoints is probably going to be also on the left. So this will not be a net gain for the left or, or for the right. This will just be maintaining the status quo. Of course, with the caveat that this is for another two or three or maybe even four decades. Earlier, a lot of people were upset with Justice Ginsburg when she didn't retire when Obama was president. Because if she had retired earlier, then he would have been able to appoint a replacement. And so there was a a good amount of pressure on Justice Breyer to kind of not make that same mistake. Because who knows what will happen in 2024 when there's a new presidential election. So by retiring now, He's assuring that the Democrat president will be able to appoint and get a successor in office. Regarding the philosophy of the court, three of the justices are appointed by Democrats. And like I said, this isn't going to change. This is the same with Breyer or presumably with his replacement, unless something really, really unusual would happen. And six of the justices are appointed by Republican presidents. By judicial philosophies, you might be able to divide them a little bit different. Sometimes you'll you'll hear that it is a 6-3 court, uh, but sometimes you'll hear more it's a 5-4 court. But sometimes it's also divided as a 3-3-3 court. That is, you have, if we call it on the right, Justices Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch would probably define themselves as originalists. They believe in the text of the Constitution, and so just following what that text says and what the original meaning when it was approved whether at the time of the Constitution or if it's an amendment, at the time the amendment was ratified. On the other end of the bench, you have 
You have Justices Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer, or whoever the new justice is. And these would be more progressive or on the left. And then in the center, you probably have the Chief Justice Roberts, as well as Barrett, although we have the same name, not related, and Kavanaugh. Some other experts kind of peg it as a 5-4 court, with the three progressive justices, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer, or the, the new justice, as well as the Chief Justice, Chief Justice Roberts kind of on the left, and the others on, on the right. It is fairly common for uh, Republican-appointed justices who originally were thought of as being on the right, that they kind of drift towards the left when they're appointed to the bench, although that doesn't happen for Democrat-appointed justices. They're believed to be on the left when they start and really don't drift to the right. And why do the judicial philosophies matter? Well, many of the decisions are actually unanimous, where it's 9-0 or 8-0, all of the justices agreeing with the decision. The last term, it might have been over 40% of the cases were like that. But if they're not unanimous, then the others are often within one vote. So we're looking at a 5-4 decision. And if you think about it, you have four justices on one side, you have four on the other side. It's that ninth justice that's in the middle that controls the majority. They can decide to go with you know, the justices that are on the left or the justices on the right, and that becomes the majority. So they have significant sway over the court and which way the court will, will rule and which way the country will go. Uh, starting in the, the 80s, this was kind of done by Sandra Day O'Connor, who was kind of that fifth justice, you know, either for, for the right or the left. And then once she left the bench, uh, it was pretty much Anthony Kennedy, who retired uh, a few years ago. He was replaced by Justice Kavanaugh. But after she left, he was kind of that, that middle justice who was deciding which, which side was the majority. If you're enjoying today's episode, please subscribe. Give us five stars and a review. Go to our website, four is in the number four, legalenglish, no spaces or dashes, dot com, fourlegalenglish.com. Check out our blog articles, available courses, and the show notes for this episode. Comment at the bottom. It's a great way to practice and improve your legal English skills. If you're looking to improve your legal English skills, consider our conversational course. This is one-on-one -on -one tutoring with me, Timothy Barrett. We can practice your legal English skills through a virtual meeting. We can tailor the tutoring sessions to whatever areas you want to concentrate on. It's a great way to improve your legal English skills. If you're interested in that, check the show notes and follow the link. How does SCOTUS work? How does the Supreme Court of the United States work? So for the Supreme Court, appeals are discretionary. There are very few cases, if any cases, that are mandatory for them to take. And in fact, there was, a, there was one case during the last election and the, the court cases after that that appeared to be a mandatory case that the Supreme Court had to take, but the court rejected it. So now it, it appears that all, all appeals are discretionary, although it's, it's not fully clear. But that means that the court chooses which cases they're going to hear. They choose their own cases. And they do that through a process of a writ of certiori, or cert. C cert being C-E-R-T. Certiori is a Latin term. 
But basically, instead of appealing, the petitioner, the party that wants to file the appeal, will ask permission to file an appeal. So, you know, basically asking the court, can I appeal this? Will you hear this case? And though they explain why they, the court should hear this case, what novel legal arguments are involved, a lot of times they will look for a circuit split where in some circuit courts, that's the court of second instance in the federal system, there's a split decision. So maybe in the first circuit, they do it one way, but in the fifth circuit, they do it a different way. So you have basically different law, just depending on the geography of the litigants. And so over time, they don't want that. So if there's different circuit splits, those are often the cases that the Supreme Court will accept so that they can resolve that ambiguity in the law. And usually they take a little over 100 cases every year, 100 to 150, probably closer to the 100 mark. And sometimes there are emergency cases that they will take. Sometimes they'll take cases but not hear it completely. They'll just make a, kind of a quick decision and send it back. Um, but if we're talking about a full case on the merits, fully briefed with oral arguments, you're looking at over 100 cases. Like we talked about in the beginning, they have an October term. They begin their year in October, which is the fiscal year for the federal government. So every October 1st, they will begin the new court season. And so then they will start hearing cases, decide cases, and usually they will decide the cases in late spring. And then, you know, there's maybe a few cases left that they will finish in early summer. As soon as they decide those cases, then they are done for the summer. Yes, the justices get the summer off. If they grant cert, if they grant certiori, what happens next? Basically, the parties will submit briefs, you know, legal arguments in written form, why their side should win or what the legal issues are. It's very common that you'll also get amicus briefs, basically friend of the court briefs. So not just the parties, but outsiders. After the briefs are received, then they will set it for oral arguments. So the litigants will have a short amount of time. Usually it's one hour each side and they will present their oral argument to the court. Generally speaking, it's been a very active bench. That is to say, the justices will interrupt and ask questions very regularly. So even if you have an hour to make your argument, you might only have five or ten minutes of your argument. The rest of the time might be responding to questions. There are no videos in federal court. So in the Supreme Court, they will have an audio recording, and so you can listen to that online. In fact, I can I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested. I'll put some links that you can listen to some of the arguments, but there are no videos. It's just audio recording. After the oral arguments, the justices will have a conference. So they have a nice big conference room, a big table, and it'll be just the justices. The nine justices will sit in the room and then kind of go through the cases that they've, they've finished. They finish reading the briefs and hearing the oral arguments, and then they'll discuss the case and maybe take a vote which side is going to win. After they take that vote, they will decide who writes the opinion. If the chief justice is in the majority, then he gets to decide who will write the opinion. It could be himself, or he could assign another justice to write it. And then that justice will write the opinion and then present it to the other justices. And especially for controversial cases, the votes may change after the opinions are written. So like I said, if it's, this is going to be a 5-4 case, it's often that, that fifth vote that's going to write the opinion because if they write it, of course they're going to vote for it. Because if that fifth justice is in the middle, whoever writes it 
is going to have to write it close enough to the fifth justice's understanding of the law that they are going to vote for it. If it's too far to the left or to the right, that fifth justice may say, no, I'm going to go with the other side, with the minority. However, when they change their vote, that minority becomes the majority opinion. So the majority opinion is the decision of the court that has the rule of law. Now, sometimes you'll also get a concurring opinion. So the concurring opinion is written by a justice or or more than one justice who agrees with the majority opinion, but want to point out something that they maybe they differ on or something that they want to explain a little bit further. Maybe they concur with, with some of the reasoning, but not part of the reasoning. So they want to explain what their difference is. Or maybe they want to say that they would go even farther. You know, this doesn't go far enough. And then on the other side, we have the dissenting opinion. If you're in the minority, you lost the vote, you can still write a dissent and explain why you think the court is wrong. And often the dissenting opinions are more interesting to read because they're written with the views of one justice, not five justices. So they're not written by committee. The writer doesn't have to worry about pleasing the other justices. They can just write a, a good opinion making their arguments. In many cases over time, the dissenting opinion will kind of outline how this dissenting understanding or this this dissenting argument can over time become the majority opinion, explaining that this should be the, the correct understanding of the law and kind of explaining how would we get there. And that has happened in, in several cases that one justice might write a dissenting opinion and then sometime later, maybe 5, 10, or, or 15, 20 years, they are writing the majority opinion and you know, using the same logic from that original dissenting opinion. Some of the legal terms that we used in this episode, certiary or cert or writ of certiary, scotus, justice, associate justice, chief justice, October term, oral argument, majority opinion, concurring opinion, dissenting opinion. What questions do you have about today's topic? Were there any terms that you didn't understand? Comment on the show notes and we'll be sure to answer. Please subscribe to the podcast. Give us five stars and a review. Go to the website, forlegalenglish.com. You can check out our blog articles, available courses, and the show notes for this episode. The For Legal English podcast is adjourned. Don't miss the next docket call. (laughs) 